welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. I don't know if I can do this, to be honest with y'all. I'm so excited. Wasn't that awesome? I told y'all, y'all wouldn't even want to hear me talk by the time I got up here. We've done had a day, haven't we? We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Joshua chapter 2. Last week, we started a new series called Outcast. And, and what we're doing is we are looking at God's heart for the outcast in the world. We're looking at God's heart for how he reaches out to people that most of us may honestly ignore. And we're taking this from Matthew 1. Stay in Joshua 2. But we're taking this from Matthew 1 in this genealogy leading up to Jesus. Jesus Christ. And, and there's 47 names leading up to these people that are ancestors of Jesus Christ. And, and we find in these 47 names, five outcasts. See, at this time, genealogies only included men. Genealogies were passed down through the male. And in these 47 names, we find five women that God specifically put into this list of people. Now, when I read that, I'm like, man, these, these five women, they must be like super women. They've got to have done big things for God. They must have been very, very special. But when we get into the stories, we find that these, these ladies were... Well, they were outcasts, and they lived broken, messy, dirty lives. And, and that kind of brings us to this question of, if these women are so broken, if they're, if they're so messy, how did they earn this place of honor of being mentioned in God's Word as an ancestor of Jesus? Last week, we looked at the story of Tamar, and, and we won't go back into the whole story, but, but in the Old Testament, she was a widow twice, and she had got so desperate for a child that she concocted a plan to just, we'll say do something stupid and we, and we saw that even though she had evil intents and even though she messed up and, and she was broken in her life we saw this that Jesus Christ still starts his story off by saying I am not ashamed of the outcast and I'm not ashamed of the unworthy and this week we're going to look at another story of the second lady in this lineage a lady named Rahab whose story starts in Joshua 2 this is six generations after Tamar now, to get us to the story, I need to give us some background here. So, if you go into the book of Exodus, there's the story of how God pulls the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he raises up a man named Moses to be their leader. Moses is given power by God to do amazing things, or, or he calls on the power of God, might be a better way to say it. He does things, and he's able to lead them out of Egypt. Now, for 40 years, they've wandered around the desert looking for this thing that, that God calls the promised land. That's what the Bible calls it. And, and it says... Um, in the Bible that the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a gift God is giving to the Israelites because of his love for them and his commitment to them. And right as they stand on the banks of the river and they're about to go into the promised land, Moses dies. Now this is, this is the Moses who had called down plagues from heaven. This is the Moses who took his staff and put it in a river and the river just, or a sea, and the sea had just opened up. And they're expecting him to lead him into this new land and, and all of a sudden he's gone. And there's this power vacuum. And so enter Joshua. Uh, Joshua was kind of Moses' number two here and he comes in and he's got a big task ahead of him because this land that God has promised the Israelites 
there's other people there and, and you can't walk up to somebody's house and knock on their door and say um, you know I know you've been living here for a couple hundred years but God told me this is mine that's not how it works and so Joshua is going to be responsible for leading the people of Israel on a military campaign to invade and take over this land that God has told them said I will give it to you I will lead you in the battles but you have to go and take it and the first stop as they come into the, the, to the promised land is a military outpost city called Jericho. How many of you learned about Jericho when you were growing up a little bit? Growing up in church, you know the story of Jericho. So we kind of already know how this story goes. Let me just tell you a little bit about the city and see if maybe we can make that story really come to life and we can understand it more. Jericho is a city of about 2,000 people living inside the walls. There would have been more out there. It is, it is literally supposed to be the first line of defense against people like the Israelites invading armies and it is built to kind of withstand them. Um, it's built on top of a hill and it has two walls around it. I've got a, a picture up here, a schematic coming up that kind of shows you what surrounded Jericho. There was that lower wall there on the right side. That lower wall was 32 foot high, six foot wide. It's, it's a pretty formidable wall. If, if that's not bad enough, before you get to the wall, you have to go down into a moat that is nine feet deep. So you've got to get into the moat nine feet deep, climb up to ground level again, 32-foot wall. You get over that, this, the uh, town actually slopes uphill to the upper wall, which stands 48 feet above ground level. So let's recap. We're going to attack the city of Jericho. We've got to take it over if we're going to take over this land that God has promised us. We've got to take our army. We've got to run them across a moat, 27 foot wide, 9 feet deep, possibly filled with water. If they live across that because people will be shooting at them, they're going to try to climb 32 foot up the first wall. They get on top of that if they live that long. They've got to jump down the other side, fight their way uphill to the second wall that is 48 feet, get on top of the wall, get into the city, and then they can begin fighting. I think that's an improbable feat to start off with. And this is Joshua's first test as a leader that he's going to have to take over Jericho. And so he decides, I'm going to send in two spies. Go in and see if there's any weak places in their defenses. Go in and see if there's a, a different way into the city. See if the wall's a little thinner in one place and maybe we can knock it down. And while these two spies are in Jericho, we, we are introduced to a lady named Rahab. Rahab lived, if you remember that, that picture, Rahab lived in between those two walls. That was the area where the poor and the unwanted and the outcasts lived. They were part of the city, but they weren't important enough to be in that main part of protection. It's where the poor would have been. It's where the homeless would have been and the beggars and, and the people who lived lifestyles that were, well, we, we could say undesirable. And what the Bible tells us about Rahab is that she made her money, much like last week, will, will, be, will be delicate for the little ears as a, a lady of the night. That, that was her job, and not only was that her job, she actually owned a house where there were probably several other ladies in the same occupation, and, they all, and she was in charge of them. So Rahab, by our standards, is somewhat of an unworthy person to be in this genealogy, an unworthy person to be considered an ancestor of Christ. Now, I kind of wonder, as we look at our society, how many people live in between the walls of our society? Like, like they're part of the society, but we kind of cast them aside and say, yeah, you're really, you're not important enough. Maybe it's for money reasons. Maybe, maybe it's for the reasons of, of uh, how they've lived, their lifestyle. I wonder if we as Christians sometimes look at people that way. 
Like we get to live inside the inner walls, the protection, we're more important, but there are people out there that we just kind of lay off to the side. When the spies are in the city, they decide to stay with Rahab in between the walls. Now, that brings us a question. What were these spies, part of the army of God, what were they doing in this place? Were, were, they, were they trying to get some relaxation? Were they having fun Were they were there? Were they thinking nobody's looking? Why were they there? And scholars have agreed for over 2,000 years that the Bible does not say that they were there to do anything immoral, anything bad. Instead, this is a place that you could sneak in and out of. This is the kind of place that men creep through the shadows in the middle of the night to knock on the door of. This is a place that would have had people coming and going and it would have just been normal there. So if you are a spy in a city, it's an excellent place to hide. And Rahab was, was willing to hide them. But the problem is, is as they are there... As they are there, the, the king gets word. There are spies in the city from the Israelites. We, we're expecting an attack, and they've got spies here we've got to find. And, and the first place they go is to Rahab's house, and they knock on the door and say, Rahab, are these men here? And Rahab lies. She, she lies to her own people to protect strangers that she's never met. And she says, they were here, but they left. They're gone. They're, they're not here anymore. Uh, so what you guys should probably do is see if you can catch them. I think they're not even in the city. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. And before they were laid down, she came up unto, the, up unto them up on the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, that were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in our men because of you. For the Lord your God, listen, he is the God of heaven above and an earth below. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all them, that, and all them they have and deliver our lives from death. So Rahab comes to these men and she comes to them and says, look, um, I know you're Israelite spies. And even more than that, I know you're going to win. Like, this isn't a contest. All of these things that have happened to you, it's come to us through rumor. Uh, we know that, that, that this God that you serve opened the Red Sea for you. We know that when you attack something, it falls before you, no matter how improbable it is. We know all of these things. And I love how she, she talks about him. In verse 9 and 10, she keeps saying, the Lord. And, and if you look in your Old Testaments, most, most Bibles will have that Lord capitalized. And the reason that is, is that is a placeholder for the proper name of God, Yahweh. So she's actually saying to them, I know that Yahweh is going to give Jericho to you. I know that Yahweh is, is on your side. The early writers of the Bible, they didn't want to use that name. They felt like it might be disrespectful, that it might be taken in vain. And so they replaced it with the Lord. And so she is focused on what God's doing in these rumors. And, and then she says this, and this is, this is a statement of faith from this lady. This is not just a God that you serve. This is the God. This is the God of the heavens and this is the God of the earth. And she says, I want to be on your side. I don't want to be on Jericho's side. 
Uh, that brings us to a question. Rahab lives in the city. She's heard the same rumors that everybody else in the city has heard. She, she knows what the Israelite army is capable of doing. She knows that God's going before them, but everybody else has in that city as well. So why is it that Rahab is the one that is, is willing to come forward and say, I choose you, but the rest of the city didn't? Why is she different than everybody else? I kind of think it's because she lived in between the walls. She, she was an outcast in her city. See, the rest of the people, they, they had faith in these giant walls, and they had faith in their city to protect them, but, but Rahab lived a life that this city has not protected me. I'm part of the community, but I'm not considered worthy enough to live in the innermost protected part. Uh, I'm part of the community, but there's been times that I haven't been able to feed myself and I've gone without. She was let down by her city every time she was victimized by a man in exchange for money. She had lost faith in her city, and she was looking for somewhere to put it, somewhere that she could put her faith. And so we have this, this diagram between one side. We have people who have faith in their city, but Rahab comes around and says, I have faith in what your God is capable of doing. And Rahab pops up in the Bible several times. We know that this story is here in Joshua. I've already told you that she pops up in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, but she's also found in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're not familiar with what Hebrews chapter 11 is, it's called the, the chapter of faith. It's where the writer of Hebrews just writes down all of these biblical heroes and talks about how their faith guided them through. And so in this, I call it the Hall of Heroes. In this Hall of Heroes, we have men like Abraham who made a covenant with God. We have men like Moses who could call down plagues out of heaven and use his staff to, to do miraculous things. We, we have people like Samson who was a protector of the Israelite people against the Philistine who had superhuman strength. And then we have people like Rahab and the lifestyle that she lived. And the Bible talks about her and talks about her faith and the fact that she put her faith in God when others put their faith in other places. Our first take-home truth is this, is that outcasts are looking for something to believe in. Outcasts are looking for something to believe in. And I think, I think that our city is full of outcasts that are looking for something to believe in. People that have lost hope, people who don't have the, the blessing of being able to rely on their families and they've been let down and broken by their families. In, the, in this economic crisis that we're in, people who, who might have once put their faith in their job, they're just, they're not sure anymore if the job's gonna get them through. I don't know a single person that has faith in our government right now, right? There's, there's a lot of people out there that have nothing to put their faith in, that have nothing to put their belief in, and so they're losing a belief in goodness and happiness and joy, and, and outcasts often live a life of hopelessness. But like Rahab, outcasts today can find something to believe in in the gospel, in the power of our God, in the power of what he can do and what he has the ability to do, and in the power of his love for us. Uh, let's continue the story and see what happens to Rahab. Let's read verses. We're going to skip a few verses, 17 through 19. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of, thine, of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind, the, bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and thy father's household home unto thee. 
And and it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever shall be with thee in thy house, his blood shall be upon our head, if, if any hand touch him. So here's what happens in this. They make this pact with her. He said, yes, you protected us. Yes, you want to come over to the right side. That, that's fine. We, we want you over here. But, but here's what you're going to have to do. Here, here's your part of, of faith. Is we need you to do something to help us. Because when we come into this city, we're killing everything that moves. Literally everything that moves is going to die. And so you need to get everybody that is your family, everybody that you want saved, you need to get them in your house and you need to hang a red rope out the window so that we know where you are and what house not to attack. So if your family is out on the street when we come in, we don't want to kill them, but we're going to. That's, we, we don't have time to ask everybody, hey, do you know Rahab? Well, we're, we're killing every single person. So everybody must be in this house. Uh, this is reminiscent of another story in the Bible. Going back to Moses, going back to the Exodus and the ten plagues, the last plague, God had said, I'm going to send the angel of death, and then every firstborn of every household in Egypt is going to die in one night. And he gave instructions to the Israelites. He said, but here's how I will know not to send the angel into your house. If you take a lamb, and you kill it, and you take that red blood, and you put it over your doorpost, that will be a sign that my angel should pass over you. And you can't help, but, uh, can't help but make the comparison that they did the exact same thing. They didn't say, hey, hang a rope or lock your door. They said, hang a red rope. I, I love when the Bible gives us details. It's always something to dig into because they could have said hang a rope or leave a sign, but the Bible made it clear, a red rope going back to that Passover. And so both this story and the story of the Passover go back to, um, or go forward to the red blood of Jesus Christ running down the cross, the thing that covers us when we will meet God. When we become a Christian, when we become a follower of Christ, God sees that blood over us that says, we don't deserve, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that, we don't get the punishment. We've been forgiven and we've accepted his grace. And so even in this story of Rahab, God is already telling the story of Jesus in the future of what's going to happen. I love Rahab's response here. She did it immediately. <laughs> she, she didn't waste time. She didn't beat around the bush. She didn't say, well, I'll get to that next week. She goes and hangs that cord out there immediately. And, and this, is, this is a big thing because people are going to see that. And, and there's going to be whispers. Hey, I, do you really think Rahab sent those spies away? She's doing something weird. She's hanging a red rope out of her window. You think it could be a sign? People are going to ask her, are you changing sides on her? But, but she didn't care. She was willing to follow in her faith visibly. And that's our second take-home truth, is that real faith moves us to action. Real faith will move us to action. If you claim to have faith and it has not moved you to action in following God, you are not a follower of Christ. It's, it's that simple from the Bible. Real faith will always move us to action. And so she surrendered to God, putting her faith in a red cord. And she had to sit in her house with her family day after day after day, believing that that red cord is going to protect us from the destruction that's fixing to happen to all of Jericho. That red cord is what's going to keep us safe when everybody else around us perishes. And for the outcast today and for me and you, we put our same faith in the blood of Jesus Christ 
that it will protect us when destruction befalls us. The next several chapters, um, the spies return back to the Israelites and they talk about how, how hard it's going to be to attack Jericho and how impossible it is. And they're trying to make up plans. And God comes to them and he says, I'm going to give you Jericho. You don't have to worry about those walls. You don't have to worry about tearing those walls down. All you have to do is follow my instructions very closely and I will fight the battle for you. He tells them this. He says, I want you to get your army, line them up in a particular way, get the priests, line them up in a particular way, and for six days, you're going to march around that city. Don't yell. Don't shout. Don't attack. Don't make silly faces at the guards on top of the walls. Just march around and go back to camp. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And after that last time, everybody shout, everybody praise God, everybody blow the trumpets, and those walls are just going to magically disappear. That's, that's all you have to do. And of course, that happened. And so at this moment, after they do this, all of a sudden, all the whole Israelite army rushes into the city and they kill everybody. But what about Rahab? Well, what'd they do with her? There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of problems. And, oh yeah, Rahab's house was actually attached to one of those walls. How could she have lived through that? If you go to the Middle East today and you go to the West Bank, there's a place called the Tel Es Sultan. And it is the original place where Jericho stood at the time of this battle. I've got a picture coming up up here. All of the walls around the whole city, both of the double walls have fallen down except for in one place, a place just barely wide enough for one house to be protected from the falling bricks. Historians have theorized for thousands of years that this is where Rahab's house stood. And this tells us something special about God. Not only did the Israelite army make a deal with her, is that God spared her. Because the rest of these walls went everywhere, but the wall that would have fell on her house stays standing to this day. God spared her. God honored that promise. And God honored that plan that they had between her and the spies. And so in the midst of the chaos... Joshua remembers Rahab. We're going to read that in Joshua 6, verses 22 through 25. This is what happens as the battle's going on. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Mass chaos. The walls have come down. Armies are rushing in, and Joshua remembers, we made a promise. Seek out the house with the red cord. Go in and escort that lady out and all of her family. And I love this. They could have just left her. They could have said, you know, welcome to your new city, no walls. But, but what did they do with her? They took her and her family, and they brought them into the Israel, Israelite camp. And they made them part of the family of the Israelites. And if you go into Matthew 1, it tells us that, that she lived a good life there. She was married to a guy named Salmon. And they had a child together listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a, a, man, named, a man named Boaz. And you might know from the story of Ruth that Boaz is the heartthrob, like the Hallmark movie heartthrob that was just so kind and so loving to another woman, another outcast that we'll talk about next week. 
I, I love what God did here in this story. So here's the story, all in a quick little bit. Uh, she lived between the walls, an outcast in her own society. She was destined for destruction, but she made a choice to follow God, and then she was adopted into the family of God. She's not worthy of the family of God. She lived a horrible lifestyle, but she was adopted into the family of God. And this is our last point, and this is specific to us here at Ramsey Heights. Listen carefully. We are looking to adopt outcasts here at Ramsey Heights. It's who we are as followers of Christ, and it's who we are as a church, is that we are willing to go to the outcasts. We are willing to go to the world and tell them about the love of Christ, and we are willing to adopt them into our church and into our family and we're willing to come alongside these outcasts to teach and to train them share with you a story in, in 2016 some of you may remember the the pulse nightclub shooting orlando florida a nightclub and, and it catered to catered to homosexuals and in 2016 omar mateen a islamic radical went in and he took a gun and he killed or he shot 100 people, 50 of them died. It was the worst terrorist attack since 9-11 on United States soil. At the time, it was the biggest mass shooting of all time in the history of the world. And Luis Ruiz was there. And he was there for the reasons that we might think. He was living a, a between-the-walls lifestyle. And this moment in his life, this moment in his life was pivotal. And I'd like to tell you his story, but I, I think it might be better if I let him tell you. I've got a video up here. Mute button. Everything happens so fast. People are running, they're splitting, they're screaming, um, and then we, I just hear pop, 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 pop. And it's like, a, it's continuous. It just keeps going and going and going. As I'm trying to run out the club, I'm looking towards the back and the side of me and I'm seeing people drop and people screaming and trying to get out of that, that simple door that I was trying to get out of. The shooter's just going off. I'm talking about like this noise was just continuous. Like he was, it was, the magazines were dropping and he was locking and loading again, dropping, locking, loading. Me and a buddy of mine, we see a gate where we think we can kick it open so that a lot of people can get out of there because not everybody, you know, because of their weight or other things couldn't jump over. Um, so we're kicking down the fence and we finally get it kicked down. My leg gets stuck on the fence and I fall to the floor. Um, as I fall to the floor, everyone sees an exit, so everyone's panicking, they're scared, they're running, and as they were running, people are running over me, they're stepping on my neck, my chest, my leg was just, I was in so much pain that I couldn't move. So the only thing I knew how to do while I was hearing all this going on was to call my mother because I thought that I was going to die. I heard the, sh the shots coming closer and closer. So as I called my mother, um, I picked up the phone and called her. She um, answered and the phone died. In that moment, I didn't have 
anyone there, everyone was already out. I mean, other than the people that were in the club and everything, um, I thought I was gonna die. Um, uh, some guy out of nowhere comes up and he kind of helps me up and he picks me up and he kind of brings me down to the 7-Eleven and sits me down there. I ended up in so much pain that I had to go to the hospital and while I'm just sitting in the hospital and I'm seeing all the names come down of all my friends being, you know, dying and, and all I could remember was me seeing them that night, you know. Who would have ever thought that that would be the last time that I would see them? So in the midst of all that, like, God showed His grace on my life his love you know and of course a praying mother because my mother she used to pray and pray and pray what made me leave the lifestyle was I guess the final step when I found out that I was HIV positive and so God had to go really deep <laughs> deep deep to to catch me so you know when a lot of people they question me and they talk about me I I'm like if you only knew what my God did if you only knew where he took me out of I'd probably be still sleeping around and probably, you know, with an STD or something else. And I, and I don't know that's not everyone's story, but that's mine. And that's what led me back to Christ. There's more, there has to be more to life than this. And I just, I fell on my knees and I said, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I give everything up to you, no matter how that looks like. Even if you take me and, and, and I still remain gay or still remain doing this, this is how I, I'm coming to you with everything. And in the midst of that, I get, that's when the process started happening. And automatically, out of nowhere, I, I, my desires became less and less to where I, I turned back and I was like, wow, that is no longer a struggle. That is no longer an issue in my life. And again, that came along with spiritual guidance and, and people pouring into my life from the church. And, you know, like I said, if I wouldn't have any of that, I don't know where I'd be. I found out that he was the only man in my life that would die for me. He's the only man in my life that would be faithful to me. But it was through his love, not religion, but relationship that I found Jesus. I feel like we need to make a couple of definitive statements about what we've talked about today. Living the lifestyle that Rahab lived is not a lifestyle that God was pleased with. But that didn't change how much he loved and valued her. And when she was willing to come to him, when she faced her own destruction and she was willing to come to him, he met her where she was. And she was adopted into his family. There's many lifestyles today that God's also not pleased with. But that doesn't change the value or the amount of love that God has for the people that live in between the walls in our society. It doesn't change what he's willing to do for them. It doesn't change what he's already done for them. And this story that we just watched is the same story as Rahab. He came to a point where he faced his own destruction and he came to know Christ and he was adopted into the family of God. And what stood out to me about that video as I watched it this week and I prepared for this is he had a church family come alongside him as an outcast in society and they trained him and they taught him and they worked with him and they loved him because that's what Jesus Christ would have done. Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, he went to the outcast. He went to the broken. He went to the unlovable and he went to the sinners. And he loved them. And here's the thing, is when Jesus Christ starts to work his love in your life, you will not remain the same. Faith will move you to action. And so if we have the heart of Christ, if we have the heart that he had, we're gonna begin to reach out to the outcasts. 
Did you know that God's plan modern day to reach out to the outcast is you and me? There's no plan B. There's no, maybe somebody else will do it. It's you and me. He gave that job to us. And so as a church, I believe God is calling us to be willing and have a heart for the people that are broken and hurting and outcast in this society, that we reach out to them and we tell them about Jesus Christ who will come into their lives, who will change them. And so we have to ask our question today as we're, we're facing this truth of how Jesus Christ related to people. Are we a church that willingly and excitedly goes to the outcast? Are we content to, content to sit inside the inner wall and judge the people who live in between the walls? What kind of church are we, Brother Danny? You know, your and my story is not that much different than Rahab's. We're all unworthy of Jesus Christ. We're all unworthy of his love. We're all unworthy of everything that he's done for us. And yet he loves us the same no matter how unworthy we are. And so if you have not made that decision, if you have not got to that point like Rahab got where, I, where she said, I believe in God and I believe in his power, maybe today is the time for you to put your faith in him. And no more faith in the world, no more faith in the city walls, but your faith in Jesus Christ to be your savior. As a matter of fact, I'll say it, it's time. There's some people here that's been struggling with this for weeks. It's time. And I, I would love, love to walk you through coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And we as a church, we have to make a determination that we are willing to go to the outcast, to the unlovable, and to the sinner, and share with them and love them where they're at till we can get them to Jesus.